0: So long term, there was a problem with the revenues planning out the way we wanted, expected as a state. And then two, in the short term, hiring up, improving the system, and then at the same time, the issue with the loss of ridership. So that really has sort of come to the head and is coming to the forefront in the next couple of years, which is why, you know, the governor's done some amazing things for the T this year.
1: Welcome back to another episode of Spilling the Tea, the podcast that takes you behind the scenes of the MBTA. I'm your host, Andrew Cassidy of the MBTA's Customer and Employee Experience Department. And in this episode, I'm thrilled to welcome the MBTA's Chief Administrative Officer, David Panagore. Today, we're diving into the financial state of the MBTA at this pivotal moment. We'll discuss the financial cliff, the daunting $24 billion deficit, and Governor Healy's decision to double the T's operating budget. We'll examine the debates and decisions that are shaping the future of the tea. Let's get started and welcome Chief Administrative Officer David Panagor to Spilling the Tea. Chief Administrative Officer Panagor, welcome to the show. Glad to be here. Glad to be joining everyone. Now, first off, I think most people might be familiar with the term CEO or CFO, but what does a CAO actually do?
0: It's a good question. A CAO is a chief administrative officer. And in any large-scale organization, particularly one the complex in state government with the size and scale of the MBTA, you have a lot of bureaucratic functions. The public uh, and the legislature uh, enact a lot of laws that regulate the way we do business in all areas to ensure that it's happening, the public's business is being conducted well. And so a chief administrative officer is really down in the boiler room, running the mechanics of the ship. You're less concerned about the strategic or policy direction pieces. You're mostly concerned about the process and the efficiency and the effectiveness. And you coordinate across whether it's when we buy goods and services, that's called procurement, or we spend money through finance, or we hire people, or we train them, or we test them, or we buy a piece of real estate. Or we operate our computer systems and we use our software. All of these sort of functions are what make government work on a day-to-day basis. And if you have a competent and effective administrative system, then you're really able to achieve your goals a lot better. You can have great goals, but if your team isn't coordinated, uh, your team is not talented, your team doesn't have direction, you're never going to win that game. So it's really about practice and training to a goal. And every day we practice with the organization to be effective. So with a chief administrative officer is that person down in the boiler room who makes sure that all these component pieces happen every day and bills get paid and goods and services get bought and people get hired. All those functions in a uh, government is really what a chief administrative officer makes sure happen, because I believe in responsible and effective government. And so uh, for me, it's a passion.
1: Now, in that boiler, you mentioned some kind of financial pieces, yeah. And you know, since the pandemic and as recent as the January board meeting, there's been talk of a looming financial cliff. Mm-hmm. I believe the number that was given was between 567 million and 652 million in fiscal 2025, mm-hmm. and then every year after that, it continues to grow and grow and grow. Can you explain what this means for the MBTA and how it affects planning? Is this solely due to the financial challenges of the pandemic or is there something else?
0: So starting several years ago, about um, five years ago now, we started doing a financial forecast, five-year financial forecast. It's really a best practice for how you should anticipate problems and start planning for them and alert people that either there's an issue or there's not, or where the issues are. And so uh, since that time, We have been projecting that there is going to be a structural deficit. A structural deficit means it's not a one time problem. It's built in that you have a permanent gap between low revenues and high expenses. Over the course of the last five years, there was a course correction under the Finance Control and Management Board, the FMCB, that was needed for the MBTA to bring its expenses under control and really modernize a lot of its systems. Those were good things. In addition, though, part of that was reining in costs. And over the past uh, three or four years, we started ramping back up some of the staffing. So we sort of shrunk everything down to the level it, it needed to be to make the budget work. But then there was a recognition the MBT needed to grow. And so the 2019 uh, safety panel report was one incident of that. And building from there, we started building the hiring. So what you have is to get the T to be safe and reliable, we need to increase our headcount by thousands. And that costs a good deal of money. So that's one side of the equation. On the other side of the equation, there was always a need to, because the revenues are only growing at around two and a half percent and expenses were growing double that. Now you have COVID strike across the country, transit systems lost riders and the ridership has come back very unevenly across the country. And for the MBTA, you know, we're probably down at least $300 million a year uh, in terms of revenue still that we used to get before the pandemic. During the pandemic, the federal government gave to transit authorities a lot of operating funds. Those operating funds have helped maintain our budget until this year, fiscal year 2024. In 2025, that is when we start hitting this fiscal cliff, when the federal money is running out, and at the same time, the need to grow our workforce to be able to provide the sort of service at the level people want, the way they want safe and reliable service. Those things are coming into play as well. Those two factors are what's driving the conversation today. But you asked about other factors, and there's one big factor The way the MBTA is financed from roughly about just under half its budget is through um, a portion of the state sales tax, uh, one cent on the dollar across the state on all sales tax. This was put in place back in the year 2000. It created a sustainable long-term source of revenue for the MBTA. The problem was for the decade or two before that, sales tax was increasing at six and a half to eight and a half percent on average over that period of time, over the last 10, 20 years before that. But from the moment they passed this sales tax, something odd happened. It grew it far less, a couple percentage points. And that means that the MBTA, the expectation was, the MBTA was going to be able to have available between 9 and $12 billion more since 2000 than it's had. If the MBTA had had those funds, if the numbers had played out the way that we, everyone hoped, then the MBTA would have been able to do its capital maintenance program, hire its staffing. So there is a structural problem with the revenues that we've received over that period of time that has led us to today. And last, in addition, related to the central artery, there's a lot of commitments in the central lottery projects beyond the building, the bridges and the tunnels was to improve public transit. And the MBTA took on those projects and that burdened us with several billion dollars worth of capital costs that were added to our budget. And it was hoped that this sales tax would pay for it. But when the sales tax didn't pan out, well, the bills were still coming in on the work and the bond issues we'd issued. So long term, there was a problem with the revenues panning out the way we wanted as a state. And then two in the short term, hiring up, improving the system. And then at the same time, the issue with the loss of ridership. So that really has sort of come to the head and is coming to the forefront in the next couple of years, which is why, you know, the governor's done some amazing things for
1: the T this year. No, it's good to hear that there's an awareness of the issue and an interest in, in correcting this because clearly there are compounding issues that have been in place for, for decades now that have kind of led to where we are right now. And speaking of where we are right now, I think it was last November it was announced that the MBTA would need 24.5 billion with a B dollars to bring the T into a state of good repair. Can you explain what that figure is and how the MBTA plans to catch up on its backlog of work that we're trying to do with all these diversions? How can we catch up on that backlog when there's such a daunting price tag facing us? So, the MBTA has financial needs,
0: uh, both in its operating budget, which we just discussed, but in addition, which was not included, is its capital needs. So, first of all, I will just mention that. To explain to, to, to folks who listen or listening, during the time of the Finance Control Board, the idea was to spend about $8 billion to modernize the team. The solution was going to be through capital work. Some good work happened, but at the same time, the system has degraded even over that period in time that you're putting the $8 billion in. Now, with a General Manager Eng, Phil wants to really bring a lot of that work in-house and really promote our maintenance and do the work in between capital maintenance so that the system is already maintained. It's not just do the capital work and then don't maintain the system and wait till it breaks down again. Phil's very much interested in doing the work in-house and maintaining the system, which I think is a much smarter approach given the long term. Now, that's sort of our approach to attacking this $24 billion figure, which is really to fix pieces of the system, but fix them in a way that there's going to be a maintenance program behind it to make sure it doesn't happen again. Now, as to that $24 billion figure, that's really an index. It is a relative assessment of a wide variety of assets of the MBTA. It's gone up since the last time we did it in 2019 for a number of factors. One of the factors is inflation. And construction materials really have gone up materially. And two, because we've actually looked at more pieces of equipment than we did before those two principal factors. But it's a daunting number. It's a huge number. Um, But it's really an index. The means and methods by which we inform our annual capital plan to decide what to prioritize. Now, again, our capital plan each year is in that range of $1.8 to $2 billion. And this capital needs assessment helps define what projects we're going to prioritize. But it doesn't mean that everything has to happen today. It just means that if you were to replace everything in kind that needs some sort of fix It is not in a state of good repair. I think it's a very self-explanatory, good term that these items would be the based on its condition, what you would prioritize. Now, the last thing I want to mention is that's just to replace in kind what we want to be doing and what Phil's really driving on and the board's driving on is replacing it better than it was taking that step to modernize the system and step into that transportation system of the future that you're not just replacing 1980 technology with 1980 technology you're actually doing those electrification projects and those modernization projects and paying attention to climate resiliency and bring the system up to date in a way that makes it more durable more reliable more modern system so it is a large number the MBTA is using it to prioritize each year and to chunk off pieces as we go forward, but we will be funding this through some projects that are maintenance, state of good repair type projects, and some projects that are really about the transportation system you know, of the future. Bus and rail electrification will be two examples.
1: That's really interesting to hear. And it's good to know because when I hear state of good repair, I think of maintenance, I think of just fixing things, but it's nice to learn that the MBTA is looking ahead. And again, as you said, not just fixing, but putting something better in its place and evolving the system as a whole. We have to. Absolutely. During her State of the State address, Governor Healy announced a doubling of the state support for the MBTA operating budget. What do you see as the key financial challenges ahead for the MBTA, and what are the steps we're taking to address them? Why should people invest in the MBTA? People should
0: invest in the MBTA for a couple pieces. One, Because we're going to show, and I think Phil's really leading the charge, we're going to show that we can really run a safe and reliable system, that we're going to make the improvements that we talk about making. Mm -hmm. And so folks can know that they can have faith in the management and the approach, because I don't think anybody wants to invest in something that they don't believe the management can get the job done. And so I, I think first is proving to the public that this is a new MBTA and an MBTA they can execute. Second, because of the number of people that ride the system and how core and critical the MBTA is to the regional economy. As I often tell people, I live at a housing authority in the transit business because we connect people from their homes to their places of work, their places of fun, and that from a regional economy point of view, if we invest in the MBTA, we invest in the commuter rail system, we invest in our bus system and our rail and ferry then you really unlock economic value of the entire region and you help out all of what are called the gateway cities and you really drive the regional economy and you unleash the economic capacity of the Bay Area, of the Massachusetts Bay Area, the region, the Boston region, which I think is critical. So I think it's important that people know that they can invest and that there's public value that comes out of it. A rising tide lifts all boats. Now as to the governor's commitment and the challenges facing the T, the governor has taken and she's shown by her leadership proof that she believes both in the management and in the value of the T as I was just talking about. We get 127 million from the state to support our operating budget. She is doubling that and adding 60 million more for capital work. And then and that is on top of the existing statutory sales tax these funds will go towards critical safety and service hires at the MBTA bring about some of that in-housing of our maintenance work that I was talking about earlier but the challenge for the T and the governor has gone a long way is both short term our next operating budget which we have additional funds for but long term how to grapple with as you said from the top this looming fiscal cliff of hundreds upon hundreds of million and deliver the safe, reliable service that we talk about that unleashes the economic power of New
1: England. Well said. It's good to always see that there are plans, again, looking to the future. It is an ongoing effort, and it seems like it's a concerted effort to address the financial limitations of the MBTA, which then can unlock so many opportunities for people, not just even in places served by the MBTA, but even beyond realistically, uh, just because of that financial impact to the region.
0: And it's everybody's individual life. You're working at a hospital and you need to get there. But then it's also the aggregate. And as you say, it impacts everyone in the region. You have a well-functioning transit system and the economy starts working better. And when the economy starts working better, it has a whole bunch of knock-on effects.
1: Yeah. I mean, I don't know if you know the numbers, but I couldn't imagine what the quantification of the financial benefit of the MBTA is. I think it's even hard to really put your finger on it just because of, you know, companies who decide to move here people who are able to find that opportunity to go to higher education to you know get the medical treatment that they need at one of our area hospitals, whatever that is there's just so much involved.
0: There is and I've done some research in that area and you know, there's a lot of good work that was actually done by Northeastern. when businesses look to locate actually taxes and corporate benefits are actually low on the category. What's high on the category is an educated workforce? a good transportation system and things for their people to do when they come work there. And Boston has, right, a great educated workforce, the Boston region. We need to have a better transportation system. And there certainly is a lot for people to do here that a transportation system can connect. But it is reasons why businesses move. It is reasons why businesses stay. And I do agree with you. It is almost incalculable the economic impact that having a well-functioning transit system can have on your regional economy.
1: Absolutely. And uh, I've seen the opposite of the MBTA or just living in a region where you just have no public transit options and there is a felt impact, to say the least. Yes. Now, still, I guess, talking about state budgets and what have you, more recently regarding the 2024 state budget that was recently released, there has been some debate coming from advocates on whether the funds allocated are sufficient for the MBTA's needs. Can you provide some insight on how the budget supports or falls short of the required amount of money that the MBTA needs?
0: Well, the MBTA's needs are fairly daunting. To really run the system that everyone would like to see requires a substantial increase. We're already halfway there in our headcount. And we're right now doing a formal assessment of how our staffing would be. On top of that, there is the financial need. For the capital program, as funds will be drying up in a a few years. And then on top of that, we have a very robust discussion in the transportation sphere about all the modernization systems and things people would like to see happen. And those are in the several billion dollar range to see all this transportation system of the future happen in Boston. All of those are financial needs and they're daunting and they're not going to happen as a solution in a moment. They're going to happen because a lot of good, dedicated people come together and think about how to sustainably fund the Commonwealth we want to see over the long haul. I think that's really where the answer will happen. But in terms of the MBTA's budget for next year, one, the MBTA always has to be trying to be reasonable. Well, at the same time, we want to operate a safe system. We're working with the state to identify proper funds. The governor has, as she said, doubled the operating support. That's the most that he has seen in terms of additional money since 2015. As I've said publicly, it will be a tight year for the MBTA next year, and we're going to have to watch our P's and Q's and make sure that we do not overspend. But I would agree with the advocates that the financial needs of the MBTA are fairly large and are probably not going
1: to be met in one single moment. Uh, that's fair. I mean, it definitely step in the right direction without question. I mean, if this is going back to 2015, that's nearly a decade. But with so many needs as a system, there's also the equivalent needs financially. There's also, I mean, you know, look, it, 127 million. The governor has been
0: very fiscally prudent with next year's budget, and for the MBTA to receive that amount of money when other budgets are being tightened, it's a substantial commitment. But it's also recognition that it's really a bridge year.
1: Yeah. And I think it also shows that not only do we have the attention, but there is the need there as well. There's that need to grow. There's an importance to it. And things need to start, you know, moving more quickly or, or at least more soon. Uh, so it's good to see. And,
0: and I, yeah, if I may add just this, that in the conversations, in the rooms that I've been in, there is no one across the board in leadership that I've talked to in the state of Massachusetts, from advocates to the legislature, to the business community, to senior government officials, all of them recognize not only the need, but the value. The issue today is more so how do we get from here to there? But I think the most important thing is that first, everyone is aligned that we need to do something. We need to get there. And I think we have general agreement in terms of the value. And I do think that the work that Phil is doing with our operations teams and our capital teams to deliver on promises made really will underpin that conversation and prove to people that it's good value to invest in the MBTA.
1: Now, you touched upon this in the previous question I asked you, and I spoke with the general manager about it in the last episode a little bit, but also during her state of the state, Governor Healy mentioned that the MBTA had exceeded its hiring goal of 1,000 employees, and I believe we were closer to 1,500, which is a significant you know increase over that goal. How will that change impact the MBTA's operations? And what are the the immediate and long-term benefits that riders and employees might notice?
0: Yes, um, significant, if I was to use one word. And first, I would say in terms of impacts and what people see is they see a T that from an administrative point of view can execute. The governor set an audacious goal and the MBTA staff. It feels, you know, push and direction, undertook the work, and we transformed the way we do hiring at the MBTA. And so you have a permanent change in the system, and that is indicative of the type of permanent changes we need to make to the way the MBTA operates across the board to be able to deliver to the public. So first, you've got an MBTA, When I want to compliment the staff that have worked on this. In both my office and in the workforce department to permanently change the way we do business. So, we're going to be able to deliver on that hiring. And the hiring that we're delivering on is directly related to safety positions and an expanded safety department, operations positions in both service delivery and in safety positions in operations. And as I mentioned earlier, in housing staff. So, we restore the in house capacity of the MBTA to do maintenance work, and to have sufficient staff on hand. So you're going to see improvements in service. For example, as we continue to ramp up our bus operator hiring, a year ago, we did 30 people every maybe 10 weeks, 12 weeks. We now do 100 people every 10 weeks or so. So our training program is greatly expanded. You're going to see that In terms of level of service for bus operators, it's going to take the rest of the calendar year to play out or more. But you're going to see improvements in service. You're going to see improvements in safety. You're going to see improvements across the system. It's going to be slow. It's going to be gradual, but they're going to be material. And so this hiring is dedicated. I would arguably state 90% or more of our MBTA hiring is all dedicated to frontline workers, folks in the trades and folks, you know, who are working in safety. With any growth in a system, you have a small amount of growth in your administrative side, but this is really about delivering a safe and reliable service and putting the headcount of the MBTA at the service of the public in those areas that need to be able to deliver on the governor, the secretary, and the GM's promises.
1: It sounds like everything that our writers and our employees want to hear, uh, immediate benefits, long-term benefits, whether they be gradual or not, it's, again, just that positive upward trajectory that I know so many are looking for.
0: They are. And and the reason I mentioned about the hiring system being changed is because I want to emphasize for listeners that the pipeline of hiring, this improvement of the service and safety, there's no falling back. There's no taking two steps back. We've now got a system in place that will continually hire these people to deliver.
1: As we come to the close, What message would you like to share with our listeners regarding the MBTA's financial journey and the road ahead? It's not been easy. I'll be honest. I
0: worked on the Chelsea receivership and I worked on the Springfield Control Board. And I came to the MBTA because I have a specialty in helping public sector institutions that are organizationally and financially troubled. And I would pair the two. Organizations that have a financial problem usually also have a need of organizational improvement. I hope that financially, in the next year or two, we are on a much shorter time frame to uh, have the MBTA on better financial footing and deliver much more reliable and much safer you know, service to the public. And we don't have as many challenges. But I think that making the MBTA the best transportation in the system in the country has been a driving force. And uh, below the surface, I think there's a lot of improvements that have happened that folks don't see that make. And again, it's why I'm in administration that improve. We've moved from paper systems to electronic systems. We've gone online. We've done a whole bunch of different modernizations. And those together will continue to bear fruit over the next several years. But I do think that our challenge is a long one, because if it took you 20 years to get into the problem, it's not going to take you overnight to get out. And as has been pointed out through our conversation today, the backlog of challenges in the system are tremendous. And we need to modernize our internal systems to be able to deliver. And Phil's very interested. Phil in is very interested in being innovative in terms of our approaches. So I think that as challenging as it is, and it is challenging many days for riders, that we are making progress, we're having these diversions so that we make permanent change and we fix these systems so that we don't have to come back in two months and fix them again, but that this challenge is going to go on for financially, at least, for several years, and that investing in the MBTA is going to be a worthwhile investment. and. There's been a lot of progress, but more progress needs to be made.
1: David, thank you so much for sharing your insights on these complex financial issues. I think I'm still going to be processing some of this for a while, as I assume some of our listeners will as well. But just thank you again. Uh, It's been really informative. Glad to be here. Glad to be part of the conversation. And there you have it, folks a comprehensive look at the MBTA's financial landscape with David Panagor, Chief Administrative Officer at the MBTA. We extend our deepest thanks to David for joining us today and providing such valuable insights into the financial workings and future strategies of the MBTA. To our listeners, thank you for tuning in to this episode of Spilling the Tea. We hope you've gained a better understanding of the financial trials and transformations happening at the MBTA. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, review, and share this episode. Your engagement is essential as we continue to offer transparent and informative discussions about the MBTA. If you have feedback, questions, or suggestions for future topics, we're all ears. Send your thoughts to social at mbta.com. Until next time, I'm Andrew Cassidy, and this has been Spilling the Tea.